0: Unless, Lauren, you have something to share. I can always come up now, now that we have um, Oscar on point. Amen and amen. Praise God. What a touch of heaven. Sometimes it's hard to transition from those moments into the Word because you want to just stay in worship. But the Word is going to get us deeper so when those moments come, we can appreciate them. Amen. So we never want to feel like Word and worship They're competing with each other. They're complementary to each other. Amen. Sometimes um, churches or uh, leaders are not good at transitioning from worship to word, but I feel like we always do that really well here. So, welcome back from your winter break. It's amazing how fast time is going by, man. Nancy already told me the countdown for Mardi Gras has begun. I know you guys are already thinking about it, those who are going. I'll be going out there this time. My wife will be doing her dissertation presentation. So I'm excited. I'm excited. That's really awesome for her. One day you guys will be there for those who want to get your master's. And the the joy of serving God with my wife, with my kids, is everything I thought it would be when I was where you guys were at. So be encouraged that this is working towards a goal. This is working towards a goal. Hearing wonderful reports From the Riascos, being in Ocala with my father, something special may be happening there. We don't want to get into too many details, but there may be something happening there. Many of you, though, know that we've expanded our internship to other locations. So as long as you want to do MPI, and God's put that in your heart, we want to bless you to go to other locations to do that, whether that's the church plant in the mission field or to work with another church plant that's already been established here or abroad. But like, you know, Lawrence and Jackie, you guys can be released after graduation to go to the Philippines to start that MPI out there, or you can join with a, another MPI. So to do MPI, you've got to be with MPI. And so as more works are getting started, you'll have more opportunities to join with them and do your internship. So it doesn't necessarily mean you'll church plant. It's just primarily right now it's going to be church plants, but eventually it would be other churches. So that's going to be great. And then we still have a call here in Chicago, don't we? So we still have a lot to do. I'm hearing myself, I think, still all the monitors. I don't know if you forgot to turn those down. We have a lot to do here and a lot to do around the world. When we look at the world politics, and as I said before on a Sunday, uh, last Sunday, that Obama sent money to Iran and we sent a missile to Iran leader and took him out. So there's a difference there. And now the world is changing in the way they think about our country and the way we're going to defend Our interest a little bit differently. And that's great because for too long, Christians have been persecuted and no one's been doing anything about it. And a lot of what these these terrorists do is persecute Christians. And so uh, Trump has said, President Trump has said he will defend Christians as well as the underprivileged. And so he has. Uh, given favor to Open Door, I believe, is the organization and other Christian groups that represent the persecuted church. So I'm not always for war. That's not always the best decision. But in this case, we may have to go to war with Iran. They're a wicked nation. They are bent on destroying Israel. And that's another discussion is that President Trump has, has vowed to take care of Israel and to, uh, and to put their interest above everyone else in the Middle East. And we need to make sure that we take care of Israel as a people group because everyone else hates Israel because they represent the people of God. So anyways, uh, we may be going to war. You never know how things may change. But what we have to do as, as missionaries and as pastors is make sure we're going to these places and getting the gospel out. And we, we don't want to bring Americanism. That's not our number one goal, but we do want to bring the gospel. All right, let's get into today's message getting you kind of caught up there on world events and how it may affect you. Let's talk about honoring the church. Before I want to, uh, let's leave this up. Before I get into the scriptures, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the church and give you a bird's eye view of how it may be good to look at it as you're going through uh, Bible college. A great way to understand the church is to see the, the story of God throughout the moves of God, throughout history. Now, when we talk about the moves of God and the people that play into that, we're not talking about only them being the church. We're just talking about highlights, easy ways to remember how the church was moving from From point A to point Z or, you know, wherever we are now, from point A to point Q. I don't know where we're at in that. I do believe Christ can come back in our lifetime. I'm I'm leaning more towards that than I'm towards it being longer. But a lot of people have thought that, and they were wrong. So like I said, uh, Z may be a long way down the road to when he ends it, and so we may be like around Q or R or whatever. So when you look at church history, you kind of want to look at it like a highlight reel, and then as you get interested in certain portions of it, you can go back and study more. So let's just take a step back and just understand What is the church? Jesus said in Matthew 16, you don't have to turn there, but he said he would build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So any movement or anyone claiming to be the church, and they say they are restoring the lack of church from a certain time, like they're now a restoration movement of the church because the church was lost. At any time you hear a group say that, bells should go off in your mind, that's a cult. Because Jesus promised his church would never go away. It would be here as the pillar and foundation of all truth. That's another scripture, that it would be here as a pillar and a foundation of truth and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so the gates, remember, keep things out. And so the church is making forward mo- movement and the gates of hell can never stop it moving forward. So anything that uh, anyone that claims that the church has been conquered is an error. So let's just start from the very beginning. We have the Apostolic Age. This is about the first 100 years from the time of Christ to the death of the last apostle. We call this the Apostolic Age. John the Apostle died probably somewhere around 100 AD. Now, there could have been others that knew Jesus that lived longer than John, but we just know round about John is a great place to put the Apostolic Age, his death. After the apostolic age, we have the church fathers. Now, right here, people from all cults have in common a misunderstanding of what happened at this point. Every cult you talk to will say, we agree, in the apostolic age, the gospel was preached, the church was there, et cetera, et cetera. But after the apostles died, they'll use the scripture like with Paul saying there's going to be a great falling away. They use that to say that there was a great falling away, there was an apostasy, and then the Roman Catholic Church came, and then the Reformation came, and now we are the answer to all of these reformations and all of these denominations to what was lost way back from the apostolic age. Everybody go, womp, womp. You have just met an ignoramus who talks like that. Anybody who talks like that is just an ignoramus. Not not only have they contradicted a thousand scriptures, which makes that an invalid point, and that's really most importantly, it's an invalid point by the scripture, but they have also invalidated history, which is true according to the scripture. So we never want to put history above the scripture, but I think you know what I mean there. Uh, we can argue about the scripture because they're close-minded to it, but hopefully you can show them in history they're misinterpreting the scripture because that, that should be more, in their mind, less heavy on um, interpretation. Just being able to look back and show them stuff should be able to help them see they're misinterpreting Scripture. But once again, if their eyes are blind and their heart is against the truth, then they're willing to believe a lie and they will reject when you show them the actual facts of history. But I don't want to make it sound like there's only facts of history that help us validate the church. There's facts in the Bible, and the Bible is always the foundation for everything else. So when we look at the apostolic age, it's during the time of the apostles. Well, what did they do? They made disciples. The next age that we could say goes from about 100 to around the council of... um, of Nicaea around 313 AD and we call that the age of the church fathers. These were disciples of the first disciples and Eusebius writes around the 300s and tells us a lot of what had been handed down in tradition and gives us really the first church history book in a a real comprehensive way and we also have their writings personally to understand what they believe. Now, the moment we come into this category and defend these folks, now we're in conflict with another group, the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic. Because now what's going to happen is the Roman Catholic, and let's do we have a board or do we already give that away? Okay, that's good. We did, that should be given away. Maybe if I think about it next time, I can have it from the truck because that's a good strong one that we can have. So just think about it like this. I'll use my hands a lot, okay? So just think about it like this. When you say that the time period after the apostles to the Council of Nicaea is good church, at least the church is there. The gates of hell have not prevailed against it. You give it a thumbs up. Not saying you agree with everything, but you give it a thumbs up. The moment you do that... Now the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox will say, then you have to be on our side. okay? But if you say, I think this is where everything fell apart, then the Catholic says, I mean, excuse me, the cult says, you have to be on our side. And really, neither position is true. You can agree that the church existed, moved forward, uh, grew during that time of the church fathers, and yet not subscribed to Roman Catholic doctrine or Greek Orthodox doctrine, uh, the Orthodox. Now, let me just explain to you real quick how they came about and then where their differences came. A little bit after the Council of Nicaea, Christianity became the state religion of Rome and over time, the bishops began to have political power and then they made the bishop of Rome, which was the center of the Roman Empire, the head bishop. That happened around the 500s. Then after that, there was disagreement to how much authority he should have. That lasted for about 500 years until the Great Schism, because you've got to understand, things don't move fast. Their councils were months. Look look up how long was the Council of Nicaea, just that one council. So things are kind of moving slow. I mean, we're so used to things moving fast. And when the Great Schism came, the Great Schism favored the Orthodox, who we now know to be separate from the Roman Catholics. And at that time, everyone was one movement in the church, Unless you were really dividing from that, which we would have considered a cult, because there was cults around there. How long? Two months and 12 days. days, Okay, so this is a long council. We're used to just settling things like this. So just imagine, councils are going on during this 500-year time period. There's arguments. They're trying to settle it. There's also political issues. So what the Orthodox said is, we're not going to follow Rome in the way now you're trying to make him to be uh, the Pope, rather, in Rome. We're not going to do that. And we're not going to change what we have settled on around the time of the 700s, I believe. Look up um, where, when, where does Greek Orthodox, um, where does Greek Orthodox, don't nobody help me, please. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Oh, it's, I got so many things in my mind and it just slipped my mind. Greek, Orthodox, how, you guys can help me now if you can think of it with me. But when we say a service is done a certain way in the religious context, just put in the word Greek, Orthodox, service order, and then it will give you that word. Liturgy. Liturgy. Where, where, when, I keep saying where or when, I don't know which one. When did the Greek Orthodox get its liturgy? What they wanted to do was to solidify, and I believe their earliest liturgy comes from the 700s. If you can't find it by that, I'll have to probably look around a little bit. I don't want you guys to get too distracted. And so when, when Rome was seizing ultimate authority... The Orthodox understood that from the very beginning, the elders shared authority, and as elders developed over cities, they were known as patriarchs, and so they were to work together in a council. And though there could be a head elder, a head patriarch, he was not supposed to have ultimate authority. He wasn't supposed to speak on behalf of Christ and all of these other things, or that he could disfellowship or do things on his own. He had to work within the elders when it came to how to handle the affairs of the church. And so they wanted, the Roman church at that time wanted to have control over the liturgy, wanted to have control over some of the doctrines, wanted to have control over the whole church, and to make it as a political power as Rome has, you know, been controlling that time the world. Well, that's when Greece. Uh, We call them the Greek Orthodox because they were the Greek-speaking fathers and the the Roman Catholics were more Latin-speaking. And so they broke away. And the schism happened. And so we actually side with the Greek Orthodox and say, You are right to have caused a schism during that time because it wasn't that uh, you changed, Rome changed. And so whenever we talk to Roman Catholics, we always remind them, You have changed from what the Orthodox were doing at that time. Now, Do the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church have the authority in the Apostolic Age or the Church Father Age to establish their church? They don't, not in the way they do it, not in their liturgy, not in their praying to saints and all of those different things. These were not the things that were a part of the church at that time. So let's go through it one more time. We look at the Apostolic Age to about 100 AD. We look at the church fathers from 100 to right around the Council of Nicaea. And now we stand here as biblically based Christians and we go, we can see the church moving through this age. We don't agree with the cults that say that it's gone away and that has fallen apart, and we don't agree with the Roman uh, Catholics or the Orthodox to say what they're doing represents this best. What they are doing that they represent best is what was established between 500 to 1000 AD. And I would say from the 300s to the 500s, I would call this the, um, the establishment of the political church. And during that time, there was a lot of opinion. There was a lot of differences. Like I said, there was one unified church, but there was a lot of uh, differences going between them and how they were going to settle their issues. Then from that time of the 500s to the time of the 1,000, to that 1,000, I would call that the, the conflicting church, the church in conflict. So it's a political church trying to establish a unified policy for everything from 300 to 500-ish, and then from 500-ish to the Great Schism around 1,000, early 1,000. I think the Great Schism was when 1025 or something. Look at when was the Great Schism? Schism. And did you ever find the liturgy of the? You didn't find it the way I was asking you to look it up. Okay. They're trying to say it goes all the way back to the beginning. 1054 is the Great Schism. We'll call that the Church in Conflict. Now, from this time on, from 1015 to the Reformation, we could call this the age of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, that could also be called the Dark Ages, because during this time, Islam is gaining power, and it is taking over lands the church used to have. The church is not unified because of the East and the West, the West being the Roman Catholic, the East being the Greek Orthodox. And then in the middle of this, very early on, you have people protesting what's going on in the church. Look up the Waldensians. Waldensians. Somebody Google Waldensians. What year were the Waldensians founded in? You, you have early on into this, well before 1500 things happening, protesting the Roman church. The Eastern church does not have as much power, and the reason why that is is because where they started making their head, Istanbul or Constantinople, depending on which one was in power, how they named it, the Muslims or the Christians, and as the Ottoman Empire's uh, being developed, or you know, the Muslim Empire versus the Byzantine Empire as the Roman Empire's kind of falling apart, and then Europe's gonna come out of that, uh, the East just doesn't have as much power or organization At that time, what do we have there? Eleven seventy-three. The Waldensians would be very similar to us. So you see, right around the time of the schism, you see protesting faith as the Roman Catholic Church is seizing control and trying to get more power through its military and through its its uh, what we would call um, forced religion coming on the world. And taking on Islam. And it did a great job in stopping a lot of Islamic conquests, by the way. So I do agree with the Roman Catholic that the Crusades were a response to the Muslims. That is true. I do agree with that. But at the same time, they were not innocent during the time of the Crusades. And they were also doing things that are not so nice as they came to different lands known as the barbarians or the different people where they would come in, into contact with. Okay. So, so you have the Apostolic Age. Then you have the church, uh, apostolic age to about 100 AD to the last living apostle. Then you have the time of the church fathers to the Council of Nicaea about 312. Then you have the time of what we would call the political church until about the 500s as it's gaining its power in in, in politics. Then from about the 500s to the 1,000, you have the the church in conflict. Then to the 1,000 to the 1,500s, the, the main thing that you see there is the Roman Catholic controlling church or the Roman Catholic dark age church. But in the midst of that, like underneath that, you see these protesting movements handing the baton one to the other and then you have what we could say is the reforming church from the 1500s all the way to today like you could just really summarize it as the reforming church because even in 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 latin they had a phrase as they were making all of their 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 solas in latin which meant what what their main uh, criteria for breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church would be really framed by Martin Luther and those those guys from Germany and the ones following him. You know, sola scriptura, the Bible alone; sola gloria, for the glory of God alone, etc. They they had a saying in Latin that that went like Sempra reformanda, always reforming. And so, if you really just want to simplify it, those are just the ways to look at what God did in the church. And so after the time of the reforming church, and you notice we didn't really see that from the Greek Orthodox because they've always had an open hand in their system of belief, even though they can be politically in power and be harsh like the Russian Orthodox and some other places that could have been accused of doing things they ought not to have done and using religion as a way uh, to do that, most of what we would call Orthodox has not been in power the way Roman Catholic has been in. So there was no real big schism from them. Because you wouldn't have been burned at the stake by a Greek Orthodox if you did something a little bit different. A lot of their doctrines are held in mystery, even though they believe them like us, but a lot of their, like the Trinity and all that, but they hold them in mystery. And so there's a lot of soft edges in their belief system where Rome continually, because of their political power, made the edges really hard. And uh, they had inquisitions all the time, periods of persecution forcing into faith the Jews. Uh, uh, burning heretics, these are all true stories, even those who wanted the Bible in their own language, okay? And then we could say the reforming church. Now, out of the reforming church, what do we see come? The Baptists, that's a large movement that comes out of that. What's another movement that comes out of that? The evangelicals the ones that come like from Switzerland and other European nations that are just going to hold to the basic tenets of faith, the Quakers, things like that. But the evangelicals, I think, kind of summarize uh, just kind of a real open-handed Protestant faith. And then you see uh, different mini-denominations and mission movements coming out of that. And the Methodists coming from the Church of England, which the Church of England broke away from the Church of Rome during the time of seizing of power in the different nations of Europe. And, uh, you know, there was a reason why, I think it was King Henry, uh, see uh, how the Church of England started. Who was the first king that pulled away from him? And the King James Bible comes from the Church of England. Now, that's just a little side issue in how Europe began to revolt during the time, which we would call the the, uh, the Roman Catholic Dark Age. It it, re, it revolted because of political powers and wanting to have its own church. It's 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 like the king of that time of England was saying, "You don't get to have." the Pope and uh, the authority, we're, we're now a strong military nation, so we want kind of our own r- religious authority now too, you know, and then they they split over him being in adultery, and a Roman Catholic may bring that up and say like, yeah, you know, you, you, part of your Bible, like the, Rome, uh, the King James, or part of your Protestants, like Methodists, came out of this church, and the whole reason why that church started was because of adultery, so if you meet some slick Roman Catholic com- um, uh, apologetic people, they'll get you kind of your tailspin, and if you don't know how to answer those objections so it was King Henry thank you and what year was it I know it was before 1500 it was probably like around 1300 or 1400 when when was it and so during that time you have the Church of England oh it was the 1500 15 what okay so it was right around that time I know there was conflict before that though so a lot of these things don't happen overnight there's stuff building up and uh, maybe i could go back and look into the the history of england having problems with rome before that but we'll just put that into the same the same age then of the of the reforming church okay now after the wesleyans came from the church of england around the 1600s look at john wesley's life i believe it was late 1600s into the 1700s america's being established around this same time because remember right around the time of the reformation America gets discovered and then they start to have uh, their settlements and then we start to have colonies and then we break away from England as well as the Church of England and then that time like we're starting our nation and the Methodists are going to eventually leave the Church of England and help the settlers have the churches in America. 1700s. When was he born? So, So Yeah, right at the end of the 1600s. There you go. And so a lot of American Christianity, Bible Belt Christianity, owes a lot to the Methodists who traced their way back to the Anglicans, Church of England, through them coming out of the, the, the Roman Catholic Church during that time of the Reforming Church. So let's just summarize it right here. Apostolic age to 100 A.D. Then the church fathers to 315. Then the political church to the 500s. Then the conflict the conflicting church to the great schism and to a the thousand then you have the roman catholic dark age church to the time of the 1500s then you have the reforming church which we are a part of and so are so many other movements so we are reformed in our beliefs meaning that the roman catholic church put a pretty big dent in the forward motion of the church but we don't believe a few a few misnomers we don't believe that they stopped the church. We believe the church was going on despite them and their head leadership throughout this time. For example, Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest and God spoke to him through reading other priests and other good leaders. And so... We, we don't know how to go back through that age and pick out all the ones who were godly or all the ones who were not. We just know there were people during that time. And like we learned about the Waldensians and there's others during that time. Look at when John Whitcliffe lived, late 1300s, early 1400s probably. And you can look at my book on church history and I have a timeline of this, okay? As a matter of fact, just put up the book of church history, which I probably should have had up this whole time, but I was trying to summarize it and then I ended up going into more detail Okay, go, yeah, go to a new thing. Um, Go to disciples of the first disciples and then put in, yeah, there it is. It came right up. It came right up. There you go. Boom. Okay. And then go here to, uh, where are we going to go here? Go here to, go to creeds and councils. One right above that, creeds and councils. There you go. Let's scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. No, let's go back up. Let's go to that time. I mean, let's go to that thing on the right side, that table of contents. Where is it? Timeline to the 451. How the church became dark. Go to, do a, go to chapter 12. One above that. One above right there. Now scroll. Let's scroll down here. Okay, here we go. Let's go down a little bit. Let's let's help you out. Okay, John Wycliffe, go right here. Yeah, John Wycliffe is uh, 1330, you know. Uh, And yeah, and go back up here to the 1200s, the Waldensians. You see, I have it all here. It's uh, John Huss. Follow my hand, please. Follow my hand. Thank you. There's Wycliffe, John Huss, the peasants revolt. You see, it's there, okay? Uh, The Reforming Church was there during the Roman Catholic Dark Age Church. So we never want to fall into this lie that somehow the church wasn't existing, okay? The church was there. Now, let's simply define the church how I think the Scripture defines the church. The, the, the church, according to Scripture, has Christ Jesus as Savior, okay? And they have the basic doctrines that surround the gospel, So for Jesus to be Savior of your life, you have to believe that he comes from the Father so that he's pre-existing and that he's equal with the Father. He's God, but he's not the Father, and that he then sends the Holy Spirit. So in other words, you have to believe in the Trinity. You have to believe that Jesus came as a perfect sacrifice for our sins to save us so that salvation is only received by Jesus, not by works. And he's the only mediator between us and the Father. And then you have to believe that once salvation is received, salvation is not kept by your good works. It's maintained by the grace of God. So it's from grace start to finish. And that at the end of days, at the end of time, Jesus is going to come back. So there's a second coming. And he is going to judge the living and the dead with eternal punishment and eternal reward. That, I think, is the simplest way to understand the, 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 the doctrines of the church. Now, the scriptures, would ha- you would have to believe that the scriptures are the word of God. Now, if you added a book or took away a book, are you no longer in the church? I don't think you would be outside of the church. Certain people at different times had arguments over what books were in the canon, what books were not in the canon. Though we do not accept the um, the Apocrypha literature of the Roman Catholics or the Greek Orthodox, and the Greek Orthodox have a few more than the Roman Catholics, we do not call them heretics by that alone. Now, if they develop doctrines based out of those scriptures that cannot be verified in other scriptures, then we would say that's heretical. But just simply believing these are scriptures would not make you a heretic. Because, once again, we're defining the church with some soft edges that that has moved throughout the entire centuries of the world. And so we can't make an argument against them now for our convenience that would exile uh, church fathers of different times and different periods. Now, their apocrypha literature is Jewish history. Now, even the Jewish people don't accept it as biblical or canonical, which is so strange that they thought they knew better, but that's what they did anyhow. And so what you would really need to believe is that at least in, in the scriptures that we would say are the canonical scriptures, those are the word of God, and that your doctrines are based in them. Now, reason why I say, could, could you possibly say that some of our scriptures you would doubt Are not the word of God and still possibly be in, yes, because certain times people doubted whether or not Revelation was a scripture. And so that would be weird during a time when a church father is really trying to understand, has this come down to us from John, or did somebody eat too much pizza one night and he dies and now he doesn't get to go to heaven because we think because he because he didn't he didn't accept the book of Revelation. And others might have accepted the apocalypse of Peter because you got to remember, a lot of information is just traveling word of mouth over long distances and long periods of time. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have any trust in what was done. It just means that we have to, we have to give grace in these areas and we have, to allow, we have to allow the church to exist even without our particular hard-line beliefs on what we now think is the church. So I would define the church as the church believing in the scriptures, the church believing in who Jesus is, the church believing in his death, burial, resurrection, the gospel, now receiving by faith, and that Christ is going to come back and judge us according to that. Okay, so let's just pause right here and make sure that we understand this. Anything that we discover now, we owe to them, and it never makes us better than them. So let's say... We now understand the Trinity better than Athanasius, who was one of the people who helped frame the doctrine of the Trinity, we don't say that we're a better Christian than Athanasius, we just say that now we may have a better understanding than Athanasius, and so this is a lot of the pride that even some Pentecostals had over time is that since we're developing these things so well, so, so good, that now we're stronger, we're better, we're more anointed, we're the latter rain, we're the greater Christian than even those folks. Because remember, if that's true, that there has been lesser of a Christian throughout history, then that means Christ failed. That means Christ failed. Now, we, we believe that in all generations, we can learn to describe things better. Like learning to describe salvation by grace through faith alone. I think that's been described better in the reforming church than it was in the first 1,500 years. Uh, The doctrine of the Trinity, the incarnation. People have in freedom with technology and the access to all of these letters and writings to be able to formulate beliefs and mindsets uh, mindsets to help us understand the incarnation better. And so to, to say if we differ with them in any way that we're in heresy, that's incorrect. And to say that we're better than them, that's also incorrect. The idea is is that the light of Christ is growing in the church and how we understand these things, but these are all peripherals. These are not the things that define whether or not we're in the church, whether or not we're filled with God's power. Now, 2,000 years of... of of charismatic history is a good book by eddie hyatt and you can see how even the charismatic beliefs have been there and then you can study more through any kind of good church history book church history in plain language or go take a look at my book that i have here let's now go to the notes when we came on the scene we came on the scene after all of these things didn't we now How dare we dishonor those who came before us? How dare we dishonor them by taking away all the hard work that good men and women of God put in? And so we ought not to think now that we've showed up that somehow we're greater or better than those who came before us. So I wanted to give you appreciation of church history so that you would see yourself in the story. These are your people. And I mean, I didn't have time to get into all the different nations and the history of the church in those nations, whether it be in Africa or Latin America or Europe or in Asia. The church has reached those lands way before any of us have ever been here. And so there's histories upon histories upon history. Now, what we need to do is honor the church in our lifetime and take the baton and pass it on to the next generation. And it is okay to believe that the way you believe about the church and the doctrines is the best for this generation. So there's nothing wrong with you thinking how we do church, how we have our liturgy, how we present Christianity to people is the best. There's nothing wrong with thinking that. There's nothing wrong with the Methodist thinking that their way is the best or the Baptist. And what sometimes people will try to do, especially the cults, is put those in conflict with each other and say, well, you, you can't be unified if you guys disagree over those things. And that's not true. Even Wikipedia has an article you can look at when it comes to excommunicative movements in Christianity. And less than 5%, Google that word, excommunicative movements in christianity i want to give you the actual uh, statistic i believe it's less than 5% of all those who claim to be christians actually believe that their branch of christianity is the only branch and the reason is is because people like myself and good pastors good elders good leaders have always taught to accept and believe others are Christians, that other expressions of the church are legitimate, excommunicative, excommunicative. Good thing I'm having them spell it. I don't even know what word you were putting. What word was that you were putting up there? Examinative? No, no, listen, listen to it. Excommunicative groups in Christianity. You gotta put that whole thing there. And if you need help, you can pass it on to Lauren. When we look at Christianity today, we're not supposed to disrespect it or dishonor it. You don't know how to spell it either? Oh, okay, good. I saw a look on your face, so I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, there we go. You, she's going to need that mouse too, sir. The calling upon the church is to defend the church, to honor the church, to be a living part of the church. And we've got a lot of scriptures to get to. Yes, excommunicative ch- gr- groups in the church. Groups in the church. There you go. And let's just get it up here. It's going to be a wiki article. Let's go down here for me, please. Some of those people pay to be at. Go up to the top, please, because it's not coming up. Um, put uh, movements, excommunicative movements. You re- re- uh to yeah, delete all that and just put movements there. Okay, put wiki next to
1: that. Just type in wiki. I want to get you guys the. Uh, okay. Let's go like this a little bit. Okay, go back up. Go Christians. Put
0: Christians and leave wiki there, and then put Christians. I wanted you to remove movements. There we go. But let's just see. We might have come up with it. Okay, click on it right here. Yep, click on it.
1: Have you ever used one of those before? Let me just do
0: it for you. Thank you. Can you hand it to me? Let's get a table up here for me. Let's get a table up here. Teach you guys a little bit. I want to get you that that actual
1: group list of Christian denominations that's communicative thank you sir I got it let's go up here It here. I know that word is there because I looked it up and I found it. One is just because I'm putting Christian, uh, not shunning. Let me look here. Oh, let me say like this. Stats. Here we go this might get us there denominational families Protestantism okay list of really list of schisms within Christianity <clears throat> Let's go. Feel free to talk amongst yourselves cuz I'm on this this thing now. I'm going to find it. Yeah, no, 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 I want it to be
0: right now. I want it to be, it's going to be a a graph. Yeah, and it's going to be
1: from Wikipedia. They organized it. Somebody must have put it up there. It looks something just like this. You guys can look with me as well. I, I can't believe I can't find it according to the same way that I found it before. Let me see if I actually saved it, which I should have. Differences between. We will find it. I can't believe I can't find excommunicative groups in Christianity. I'll just move on past this, but it's going to bother me now because, and it's a wiki article.
0: Oh, I know what it is. That's, I'm using the wrong thing. Unity in Christianity.
1: Okay, then we'll put Wiki here. Is it under ecumenicism? It's going to be under one of these, I guess I'm not saying it right, unity. Unity in Christianity movements.
0: Man, I can't get it. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to the notes here. So the number is so small and we ought not to give in to it. I'm going to continue this for next week. Okay. Um, my issue is is that I'm trying to cover so much, and I want to give you guys the facts around it. And so I apologize for going deeper than I was ready for. Please forgive me. I have all of these notes prepared, and nothing I went over is in these notes. But let me let me end. Let me at least end with the 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 part that we can see that I was trying to get to here. Excuse me, whatever, I got it mixed up. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. So the number one thing we have to get from today's lesson is not to fall into the traps of denying that Christ's church was around all during this time to honor the past. Amen. So we get that. You guys are so helpful to me. Not what I expected. But I don't want to keep you guys much longer either. Okay, I don't want to keep us much longer. Some of the things that I think I could tie into this that might be helpful are some of those rebuttals to the different movements that when they come against us, what they're saying. When the Roman Catholic Church points to the church fathers and finds similarities, that doesn't prove their point because we can find church fathers that disagree with them. So how do you settle church fathers disagreeing with each other? They settle it by saying, whoever was an authority, whoever was the apostolic succession, etc., that's how we know who to follow. But we show them then in church history all the popes that have done wrong, all of the issues the popes have had, and then we see major issues. Even right now, there's a group of Roman Catholics that don't even accept this pope. Did you know that? There's a group of Roman Catholics that don't accept this pope. They, they have it in Latin. The empty seat of the Pope. And this is called, yeah, it's called Sede And that means the seat is empty. And so right now, they don't even believe this, this uh, current Pope is a Pope. And so that's what's going on right now. And there's actually a movement. Um, you, can, you can go to this website here see if they have the website for these groups. Yeah, sources their sites. Uh Ordo Watch one of these here. So, when you talk to Roman Catholics, they're going to try to say like this argument here, making proper distinctions with the pope and papacy, they're going to try to say that uh you can be a Catholic and still reject the Pope if the Pope is not doing what he's supposed to, then he's not a real Pope, etc. And and it's the same the same thing they accuse us of doing, they're doing, they just think they have a right to do it because they can have a succession. So eventually somebody they think is a good Pope can come in there. But we don't believe that the succession is what guarantees the church. We believe Jesus guarantees the church. Does everybody see that in the text? So... We don't. We don't have to point to an office of a pope to defend the church. Has always been there. Okay. Now the Greek Orthodox, and I'll find this here for you. Uh, where, where did the Orthodox liturgy come from? I should have probably said where than when. Right. Okay. They trace back their liturgy. Uh, John of Christendom. So they can trace it back to around the 400s. Uh, but the one that they use now, I, believe, I don't believe they use the one of John Christendom. See, let me see here. Used on most days of the year as a vestibule in the liturgy on the Annunciation. Used on five Sundays. Used during Lent. Okay. So I was incorrect to say theirs came from the 700s. comes from the mid-400s. And what they say is how John of Christendom taught his liturgy, how to have a service, is the way we have the service. And if you don't do it this way, you're not having church like the apostles had church. But here, here's the question. Did the apostles have church like John of Christendom? No, because when you go through the liturgy here, The liturgy of uh, John of Christendom, you don't see it anywhere in the Bible, nor do any in the apostolic age mention it. So what are some of my, my biggest arguments when I'm dealing with the Roman Catholic or the Greek Orthodox who, like us, loves these church fathers, okay? So this is how the church service is supposed to be according to them, okay? The deacon says, Master, give the blessing, I guess he's praying there. And then the priest says, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost now and forever to the age of ages. Okay, now, most of all of this is going to be right in line with what we believe. Uh, I don't even believe during the time of John Christendom they were really praying to the saints. uh, No, I don't think uh, let us commend ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's praying here. I don't think we would disagree with much of this. I've read through it, and I don't remember there being much that I disagreed with because a lot of times we think of like the praying to the saints would be the issues that we would have. And I don't believe there's much here. But they pray the the thing where it starts, and this is is where you start the prayer to the saints. It started with prayers for uh, the martyrs. Uh, but no, these are not even the martyrs. Catacombs are the, uh, the students of the uh, catechism. Sorry, I thought that was a prayer for the martyrs. A supplication to the faithful, prayer of the faithful, second prayer of the faithful. Okay. Now, I could be wrong because I'm not going to go through this thing word for word with you guys right now. But I don't think we would have much of a problem with anything that's going on here in this ancient practice of the church. Okay, now, what do we say to them? Do we have to do church like this? No, because in the apostolic age, did they say to do church like this? No, so do we ever get to come and change what was apostolic? Yes or no? No, we can't change what's apostolic. We can do different versions of apostolic, but we can't change it because it's already there. It's already written in the stone of history. It can't be changed. So they cannot call this apostolic church order. All they can call this is early church order. Great, thumbs up. You're doing it like John of Christendom in a few years before him. Maybe this was a pattern of a lot of people before him. Great, but you're not doing it like the apostles did you're not doing it like them, and you're not doing it like many in the church fathers, because this is, remember, this is during the time of the political church, after the Council of Nicaea. You're not doing it like all of those that came from 100 to 300. You're not doing it like Justin Martyr, Polycarp, Ignatius, etc. So we, we answer them back like that. But then at the same point, what do we do to the cult who says, see, you, you're with us. You think all of this is nonsense. You think, no, 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 we don't. We, we love that they honor the Trinity here, that they have so many good things in here, man. We believe in so much of this, okay? We believe in so much of this. Uh, even, even when it says, commemorating our most holy, pure, blessed, glorious lady, the Theotakos, and ever virgin Mary with all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another our whole life to, to Christ our God, This is not even offensive to me. If people believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary, that's okay, because that can be found as a belief. I don't think it's a true belief, but that doesn't make them a heretic, and they're not praying to her and ascribing to her all of these other things. The bearer of God doesn't mean that she herself made God a person. What it's saying is, Theotakos, is that she bore God. And how many believe she did bear God? And so we don't have a problem with the doctrine of theotacos right here as we get into uh, this word. Yeah, like tacos, right? Uh, Mother of God. No, we don't believe that it's wrong to say mother of God if, if you believe that mother of God means she mothered our God, God, in the flesh. Not that she conceived and made God, <clears throat> and good Catholics will tell you they don't believe that either, by the way. It's bad Catholics who say they believe the other things. When you talk to an informed Roman Catholic, they'll say exactly what I'm saying. What then they will do, <clears throat> excuse me, is then they'll give her honor that's not due her. They'll go beyond this honor. But if you talk to somebody that says she's give birth to God in the sense of like she, she had a part to play in God becoming a person, uh, you know, God being God or God becoming a person or anything like that, like... You're not talking to an informed Roman Catholic, you know. Like if you go to Roman Catholic, if you go to Catholic Answers, Catholic Answers right here, and you put, "Is Mary God?" or you know things like that, um, "Is Mary the Mother of God?" See, they're they're going to tell you their answer, and this is this is where um, you know if we're not informed, people are going to rock us if you're not ready, and so. The idea is, look, they'll say right here. In the 5th century, the Catholic Church dogmatically de- defined the Blessed Virgin Mary as the mother of God, Theotokos, which in Greek means God-bearer. That's why I was saying the word bearer. This does not mean Mary created the Trinity or that she existed before Jesus for all eternity. It just means that since Jesus is a divine person and mother, and Mary is the mother of this divine person, it follows that Mary is the mother of God. See, so, uh, you know, they're, they're slick. They're smart. And they're not dumb either, okay? They're not like, they're not, a lot of times we think of people like they're cartoons, like they're just silly, you know, like they're just silly wasting their life on this stuff, you know? No, they've been deceived, and deception is very deceiving, so they, they, they see it the way we see all of that. So that we, we shouldn't argue where we find agreement. And you'll hear that in that one conversation that Jared and I have with the Roman Catholic. It seems like, well, do you believe that that Mary is the the bearer of God? And we're like, yes, we believe that. We have no problem using those terms. Those are biblical terms, okay? We just don't believe she was a perpetual virgin because we have reason in the Bible to, to disagree with that. Okay, so now going back to the cult. Well, when we go to the cult and they try to start saying, well, well, where's your church then? Where's your church? Where's your church? It has to, be, has to be exactly the same. We go, that was never the way it was. Never. There were differences between Peter, Paul, and Apollos, even during the time of the writings of the Bible. Was there not? One says, I'm with this one. There must have been some differences. One says, I'm with this one. One says, over here. And then Paul even said, I don't even build on another man's foundation. So the idea that you're not a church, the true church, unless everybody in your denomination or group does everything your exact same way is is, is silliness. And by the way, the Assemblies of God could do that and go, we're the true church, all 80 million of us, and be bigger than the Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, and all those little cults combined. Do you understand that? We could all go, well, there's a movement here called the Assemblies of God that does it all, you know? Well, no, but that would be silly because then what do we do to our Baptist brothers, you know? And Southern Baptists, we have multiple millions, could say this as well. And, and, but all we would be doing is exactly the thing the Bible told us not to do was to divide against each other. So we can't change what they were apostolically and try to make that's what we are now. We use what they did apostolically to be our example. So how did they have church? Well, they prayed. Do we have to pray their exact prayers? No, we pray like them as our example. They went out preaching. Do we have to preach exactly like them? No, but we use their words if it 's in scripture, obviously, and we preach like them i 'm talking a lot as a, as a whole here, the church fathers as well, and non scriptural writing, like we learn about history through them, and you know we, we don 't have to do it exactly the way they did it. We use them as the example, but we don 't we don't change what they did either, and we don 't make it look better or we don 't make them look bad and us look better. We defend the church throughout all ages. We defend what Christ has built, and we add to it, or not really, not us adding to it. We grow with it as Christ is building his church in this generation. And so I will find that graph. And the graph shows that the large majority of Christians are in unity. That's why we can listen to the same radio station. We can go to the same concerts, even though we may disagree with some of their take on the songs. You know, but those are such minor issues. Like that doesn't make you not a Christian. You know? Just because you believe you're depressed all the time doesn't make you not a Christian. It means means you're a sad Christian. You don't? That's just all you are. You're a sad Christian. Be a happy Christian. And Calvinists and, uh, you know, the Presbyterians or whatever. Sometimes you'll meet a sassy Calvinist who will try to say, this is the gospel. And if you don't believe Calvinism from the reformers like John Calvin and, and uh, you know, these guys, that their names have slipped my mind as well, uh, Beza and others, uh, you know, then, then you're just, you know, you're making other distinctions you're not supposed to make. So let us defend the church. Let us have a healthy view of it in history and admire all of them and, and don't be afraid to learn from the Roman Catholics or the Greek Orthodox. Study their writings, especially in the areas where we agree. Study their writings on the Trinity in church history as well. Uh, like Thomas Aquinas is one of my favorite theologians, okay? Um, Molina, Lewis, Lo, Lewis, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Molina is another one of my favorite Catholic theologians. And I don't know whether or not they were saved. I don't know. If, if they accepted Christ and lived by faith, they're saved. If they were praying to saints and all of that they, they were wrong. And those are questions we now have to leave to God, like can you pray to saints and still go to heaven? Now, depending on your heart, I mean, if they were misled to believe that was helpful, then maybe God has been gracious to them. I don't know. If they were doing it thinking Christ was inadequate and they needed that, then maybe they weren't saved and didn't know who Christ was. Or if they deified Mary and made her a god and, and, and worshipped her in ways that they only should have worshipped God, then they're going to be judged by that. But I can't judge them just simply based on those external things that I disagree with. As much as I don't like that they did it and it's wrong and you ought not to do it and you better be warned it's dangerous to do it, I can't make those judgments. Now, I can make the judgment that the Roman Catholic Church is not the true church. We ought not to join and come under that authority. And people that I've seen go back and join that church from being evangelicals, I don't see them have successful Christianity. And, yes, I have met people that have sat in chairs like you, have been pastors or have been leaders and are now Roman Catholics because they have been convinced. Yes. Yeah, Lester Summerall had a great church movement. Alf Ekman, I believe it was in Switzerland, planted churches all over that part of Europe. He converted as a leader, an apostle to Roman Catholicism. It was one of the most devastating things to see happen, to see a charismatic Pentecostal apostle leader under one of my heroes revert to what he said was the true faith or go back to. They call it going back home. Yeah, so he gave up his pastorate and all of that and all the ministries he led yeah, it would be like it would be like someone like a Reinhard Bunker or whatever becoming Catholic. Yeah, it was sad. It was very sad. So it happens. It ha- but in the time of the Bible, people went different ways. You know, so the idea is we don't get discouraged because they found that belief to you know. Oh, and here's a, we don't get discouraged by that because they were deceived. Let's not us be deceived. Lila Rose of uh, live action, the abortion. Um, activist, That's that, that, that woman, she grew up in a Protestant f- family, and she converted to Catholicism. And she did it because she said her dad taught her to love the church fathers, and she saw the church fathers more in line with Rome than the church she was attending. But that's not true. You will not find Rome. What you will find is them starting to take pieces and pieces and pieces. You have to go, like I said, past the 500s into the 700s to begin to find anything that looks like Rome is today. And once again, that's not apostolic. So you've already defeated your argument. If I can't find a pope in the apostolic age, there was never a pope. If I can't find them praying to saints in the apostolic age, they never prayed to saints. If I can't find this liturgy in the apostolic age, it was never there. It was added in, and you guys just took it. And remember, you can't change what was apostolic. It's already apostolic. You can't now make this apostolic because you like it and be like, "Well, I, I'm John of Christendom. I came 200 years after the apostles, and I dedicate, I deem this apostolic. You're wrong. I don't care who you are. You're a great guy. I love you. I'm glad you did what you did. But you're not, you're not, you you have, listen, no one has authority to make something apostolic after the fact. Okay, just like I can't say George Washington did X, Y, and Z after the fact. I can't do it. Either prove it to me he did it back then or he didn't. And the scriptures are clear they didn't do it. And the apostolic age is clear. Because you got to remember while the apostles are living, they're not the only Christians. Ignatius is in the apostolic age. Polycarp is in the apostolic age. Justin Martyr is in the apostolic age, and they all side with us. And that's really my biggest argument in the book about praying to saints is it's not what you think it is, Roman Catholic, because I'm not trying to argue to you guys. You guys already believe it. I'm talking to the ones who are smart on these pages who think they built up an argument. And I'm like, no, you're not as smart as you think you are. It's not there, and we're gonna defeat it through scripture, amen? Father, help us to love the church in the past next time we get together to love it in the present. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Love you guys.